Bobber T says Yamahas are way overpriced. A 300 Suzuki is over $12,000 cheaper than a 300 Yamaha, and it's not a better motor. Matter of fact, the Suzuki has a better warranty. I don't know if it really has a better warranty. I mean, you can get yes warranty on the Yamaha, so I think they both have like a five-year warranty. So I don't know if I could say that it has a better warranty. And being overpriced, honestly, I don't think they are. I mean, if you look, okay, granted, Suzuki's are $12,000 cheaper. I mean, whenever you say Suzuki, a lot of people think of cheap because they have been $10,000, $15,000 cheaper than everybody else on the market. But that's not really to say that Yamahas are overpriced or that any other brand is overpriced. I mean, Yamaha's pretty neck and neck with everybody else. Honda, uh, Mercury, both of them, they're pretty neck and neck on the prices until you get into the more expensive stuff. And even then, Mercury's probably the most expensive. But to say that they're overpriced, I don't know if I would say that they are. I mean, that's more of a question about the economy and finances and everything else. I mean, over in the U.S., we're looking at a 9 10% inflation rate right now. So um, I don't know if I would say they're overpriced. They are a phenomenal product, in my opinion. I mean, in, in most people's opinion, if you say Yamaha Outboard, most people are going to give you one word and it's going to be reliable. They're super reliable and they last a really, really long time. So you're paying for that, you know. I don't know if I would call them overpriced. I mean, I guess you could. I mean, new outboards are a rich man's game anyway. We were talking about that a week or two ago. And so I don't know if I could say that they're overpriced. I think they're priced about the same as everybody else. Um, yeah, buying an outboard is expensive, especially if you got to re-rig and all the other stuff. But we talked about that in another episode. C. Metzenberg, can you show the differences between a clock, a counter, a clockwise and a counterclockwise lower unit? We just disassembled the lower unit not too long ago in another video and um, basically went through the entire guts of the lower unit, how it works and all that stuff. If you want to check that video out, it's a phenomenal video. You're really going to enjoy it. But as far as the the left hand and the right hand, the clockwise and the counterclockwise, most of the, most of the time those all have a shift crank in them. So in the front of the lower unit, there is going to be a like a lobe. In that video, we had it was a smaller lower unit that has like a push pin that moves the clutch dog back and forth. So as you move the shift shaft up and down, it pushes this in and out like that. And so that's what shifts it back and forth. Whereas in a lot of the bigger outboards are like, you know, you get to 40, 50, 60, basically anything over a 40 is going to have a shift crank for most of the time. There are other outboards that still use that push up and down, but generally once you hit 40 horsepower and above, they don't, they will use a shift crank. It's going to be the same clutch dog system in the lower unit where you got your prop shaft and the clutch dog, and it's going to go back and forth on a, on a rod like this. But what moves that rod is going to be an actual like lobe. So you'll have this like indention or you'll just have the, the, um, the rod coming out of the prop shaft and then a crank that goes around it like this. So as you go back and forth, it turns like this to pull it and push it in and out. All they do for a counter is pretty much take the, it from this side and move it over to this side. And that's just how they change it. So that way when you shift forward and reverse, it is shifting differently. Um, there are differences like Suzuki does have a different system to where it's the same lower unit and the shifting is just changed with a, um, it's like a plug on the engine. You can just flip it and it will, 
basically use the same lower unit as a counter or a standard. In other ones that don't have that design, there are differences between them because the roller bearing on the forward gear needs to be beefier and also the forward gear needs to be a little bit beefier than the reverse gear needs to be. So depending on the outboard and depending on the model and the lower unit, it's going to be a different type of gear set and a different type of bearing because when you're in forward going 6,000 RPM, it's going to be a lot more stress on that. And then also um, going forward, the prop is spinning and it's pushing itself forward. Whereas in reverse, the prop is spinning backwards and it's pulling. Think about those gears inside of there and that clutch dog. Whenever the propeller is pushing this way, it's pushing this way, you know, so all that pressure is riding on that gear opposed to in reverse, A, you're not going 6,000 RPM and B, it's pulling back. So it's pulling back on, on the gear. So there's a lot less force on the bearing and on the gear when you're in reverse compared to when you are, where you are in forward. And so the gears and the bearings are a little bit different and, you know, they're just a heavier, beefier type of gear. Nowadays, a lot of them, um, they are very similar, though most of the time they are different. Um, can you take a counter and turn it into a standard by just flipping the crank? Yes, you can. Some outboards can handle that and other ones they don't. You kind of get back to now you're putting all that pressure. You're basically running. If you shift it, if you like flip it, then you're running the engine forward gear on the reverse gear and on the reverse gear bearing. So it's a lot more stress. And if they aren't, you know, one of these beefier, newer outboard lower units, then that will tear it up and cause premature failure. In some of them, I have seen them flipped and um, they lasted a long, long time. I mean, they still run them today. So, you know, there are some caveats there. It's always going to depend on the model and the make and all that kind of stuff. But that's basically the difference in how the lower unit goes from left to right hand as far as the shifting is concerned. Um, one other thing that I didn't really talk about that much on that when you're talking about the backlash being on the gears. So you've got, you know, a forward gear, a pinion gear, and a reverse gear. One of the first and most crucial points to the numbers that you get there are going to be the pinion gear height. So the height of the middle gear being the pinion gear, whether that's down too far or up too far, that height is like the initial set point. So you can move these gears back and forth all you want, but if you got the pinion gear height wrong, then um, you're going to cause premature failure. Your backlash is going to be off and you're probably going to be rubbing gears and the lower unit's going to fail. That's just something that I forgot to say in that video talking about, um, you know, the gear sets and all that stuff that's inside the lower unit and how the lower unit works. So Crispinator, g'day mate. Question, is there a special socket you use to turn the drive shaft when getting the pinion nut off? I've bookmarked this as I said, it's the best explanation of tolerances and the breakdown of the gear case that I've ever seen. So thank you. And yes, so I would say either, I mean, you can get the, there is different, sockets and it is a specific socket that goes on that drive shaft on the spline so that way you can put a socket onto it to turn it if you use that type of socket you're running the risk of stripping it out it's going to roll over and it's going to you know mess up the threads and then you're going to put that up into your power head mess up the crankshaft have all kinds of problems so i wouldn't do that i would definitely get whichever one for whichever model you're working on and um, you can get them oem obviously going to be the most expensive i'm pretty sure marine tech 
tools is probably going to be the best that I've seen. That's what I use. All of mine that go on the drive shafts are Marine Tech Tools. Um, I got basically a full set of the Marine Tech Tools. If you are like a DIY person and you're trying to do things like this, like tear apart your engine, tear apart your lower unit, or do things like that, move engines and move power heads, stuff like that. Marine Tech Tools is probably the best that I've found as far as tool-wise because they have all of the um, disassembly for the spanner nut on the lower unit, the top of that for the carriers on the drive shaft, for the um, jaw pullers, for the trim and tilt units to get the caps off, hooks that go on the power head to pull the power head. So I would always, you know, I would suggest looking into them if you're looking to get that special socket for your lower unit, but it is a special one. Now, as far as the pinion nut, um, uh, on a Yamaha, I would say the Yamaha tool is the best because it's a it's a pretty sweet thing. It's got like a spring on it, so it's basically a handle, and on the back of it, there's a um, like a it's like a T almost, and this side's got a spring, so it pushes it up, and then this top of it is where a socket fits, and the sockets are replaceable, so you can take the socket out and put the right socket in there, depending on the gear case that you're working on, and you basically just push it down, slide it in, and that spring pushes it up onto the pinion nut which is super useful. I mean, you could put a, a rag in there on the side of the case and then put the handle over so you could do it by yourself. Whereas most of the time they have, you know, a hundred and some odd pounds, depending on the lower unit of torque on that um, nut. So getting it off can be a pain sometimes. And sometimes it's better to have two people, one to hold that socket on the nut and one person to be on the top of the drive shaft to break it free. Otherwise, if that thing falls off and you strip that nut that's on the pinion, uh, that could be a problem that you're going to have to deal with. And that's going to be a, a whole nother discussion, but yeah, it's a special socket. I would look into Marine tech tools. They got the best ones that fit on there, or you're going to have to go with OEM. Um, I don't think Moto stop makes them not a hundred percent, but I would go with Marine Tech Tools. Boats and outboards is 90-70. And what is wrong with filling the gear oil from the top hole? It doesn't go down the plastic sleeve, question mark. So, no, that's not really the problem with filling it from the top. The issue from filling it from the top is that the top is a vent. So, because you've got all those gears, you've got all those bearings, you've got the carrier, you've got the shift shaft, and you've got all these little orifices and passages for the gear lube to go through. So you want to fill the gear case from the bottom. So that way the gear lube, like if this is the gear case, the gear lube fills up from the bottom and it pushes all the air out to the top. So if you try and fill it from the top, you're pushing it in, but there's nowhere for that air to get out. And so now you're like, you're not really putting any um, gear lube in, you'll get so much in, but then it's going to pressurize the gear case to the point where the gear case filler, the pump, whatever you're using, won't have enough pressure to get the, um, the gear lube in there in order to fill the case up. So that's why you got to fill it from the bottom. And then it all is also important to the angle that you have the lower unit, depending on the lower unit where the vent is and other things like that. So like on a lot of them, you want to, like if this is the cone of the lower unit and you're like this and you're filling it from the bottom, a lot of times you want to tilt it back a little bit. So that way the air in the back where the bearing carrier is, 
the lube will go in and it'll go to the back and then it'll push all the air up to the top. Because if you've got the gear case like this and you fill it from here, when it fills up, you're going to have an air pocket up here in the top of the gear case in the bearing carrier. And then it's going to be low on oil. And that goes back to the problem of that plastic sleeve that runs gear lube up to the top to oil the drive shaft bearing. Proper lubrication up at the top of it. It could seize it, overheat, lock up, all kinds of problems that you don't want to have to deal with. So depending on the gear case and how it's set up, where that vent is on how you fill it up, the tilting of it is important. Like Mercury's, they've got both of them on the back now. A lot of them, um, and they want them parallel. They don't want you, you know, tilting it this way or that way. They want it basically parallel because it is a lot of those gear cases are built in a specific manner to have a specific amount of air in there. The way they lubricate, I mean, honestly, it's funny that they actually took gear lube out of the gear case in order to get more horsepower, more speed, less friction, and that's just the design of the lower unit. So they want them basically flat, and you put it into the bottom, and it fills up basically halfway on the thing, and then out the top and out the um, back of that, the other vent that's on the other side of the bearing carrier. So. It, it depends on the lower unit that you're using and how you fill it up. Uh, but yeah, you can't fill it from the top to put it down because you'll, you'll pressurize the case and it won't fill up with oil. You'll be low and then you'll blow up that lower unit. Big problem that you don't have to deal with. Marcus 1134. What's the difference with waxed and non-waxed gel coat? I have a skiff that's primed and I want to sand it smoothly out the fiberglass and then gel coat. So as far as the gel coat goes, um, with wax is the last coat without wax is they call it a laminating layer. So um, if you put wax in the gel coat, you can't put another layer on top of it without having to sand it. And it's important to put the wax in there because that is what actually creates like a layer of wax on the top. So as the gel coat is curing, that wax goes to the top and it stops any oxygen from getting to the gel coat and that's what makes it it could take you know two three weeks i mean it could take a few weeks for the gel coat to cure properly but if you don't put wax in there you can't just sand it off so if you take a laminating layer which is gel coat with no wax in it and you and you let it cure and then you try and sand it it's just going to come off in a gummy substance. It's going to gum up your sandpaper. It's going to be a big problem to mess with. And you have to sand that stuff anyway, because if you're going to put in a layer on it, you can't have this halfway cured layer of gel coat and then put another one on top of it because it won't cure properly. And later on, you'll have all kinds of chipping and all kinds of delamination issues because it didn't laminate together. That's the big thing between the wax and the non-wax. If you take it and you put a layer on and then you let it cure for like, you know, an hour or two until it gets just tacky, then you can put another layer on top of that uh, immediately. Obviously, you don't want to put, you know, 100 layers on there because you'll have other issues with the way it cures. But you can do a couple of layers um, in a in like a systematic way. So that way they'll cure together and make one good solid bond together. But then your last layer has to have wax in it to create that barrier from the oxygen to allow it to cure properly. So that's the biggest thing with the wax. Dan B, can you do a follow-up on the triple guard grease? I ordered a new tube of it and it has been changed from blue to yellow. No longer as tacky either. Please let us know if you found anything that can compare as I haven't. So no, I have not ordered any triple guard lately. 
And um, that sucks because Triple Guard was probably the best grease for the marine industry that I have ever seen. Uh, my favorite is definitely Johnson M. Rude Triple Guard. Now, it's yellow now. I have not seen that. I mean, we just been using 2,4-C and Yamalube. So, um, or even Mercury Extreme Grease. Between those three, that's basically all that we've been using lately. So, that's unfortunate. Sorry to hear that. I'm going to have to order some just to check it out. Um, yellow didn't who would have thought that but thanks for letting us know back 40s good video i have a 9.9 .9 honda and i cannot remove the pinion from the drive shaft the pinion got stripped so i want to replace it i asked around for price quotes and they're charging me 900 more than my budget i have the part but have not had any luck any tips please so um honestly um if you got paid 900 it sucks you've already bought the pinion. I'm guessing you bought the pinion and the pinion nut, but um, if that if that pinion failed, you need to check all the other gears and everything else that's inside that gear case. To make sure everything's good. But honestly, for what it's going to take you to pull that thing apart and rebuild it and all that stuff, you could probably just find another lower unit, like a 9.9 .9 lower unit. I'm sure you can find a used one for like three, four, 500 bucks. So if $900 over your budget, I wouldn't spend $900 anyway on that lower unit. I would go find a used lower unit for only a couple hundred bucks and, and do that. I would probably call um, Lake Lanier because they've got just stuff like that piled up everywhere. And you might be able to find a deal there. And then also looking around on eBay, um, and then call Honda dealerships. Though when you start talking about little engines like a nine and a a nine point nine, um, you're gonna have to find. I would look for a marina that is real close to a lake or a lot of sailboats, and that is a Honda dealership because other places aren't really going to have. You know, they're gonna be stocking old nine nine stuff like that. But I would be looking for a blown up nine nine Honda that you could just buy the whole engine for a couple hundred bucks because it's blown up and not no one's gonna use it and then just boom put that lower unit on there. I wouldn't go through all the time, the effort and buying all the parts of um the pinion gear and all that stuff. But since you've already bought the pinion, um unfortunately I would I kinda understand trying to understand what exactly is going on. Like so the nut isn't coming off. Maybe you've stripped it or something like that. So maybe try and get some vice grips in there to get on the nut because you kind of got a problem there. You can't cut it off because then you mess up the drive shaft. And then not to mention, you need to get that thing off of there so you can check the needle bearings and the vertical drive shaft uh, bearings as well to make sure that none of that stuff is messed up. So that's kind of unfortunate. Um, I would still, even though you've bought that stuff, I might even take just bite the bullet and go try and find a used lower unit, blown up 99 Honda, similar year, with the same lower unit, you can go to like partsview.com or boats.net and look up your lower unit and then get the part number for that lower unit for that engine and then go look at all the years before and after. So that way you've got like a, a span of, okay, it's the same lower unit from 02 to 2015. So that way when you start looking around, you know that if you find an 03, if you find an a 12 or whatever it is for your engine that year range, you know you can get the right part for that. Steven 
Leon. I've got a 2002 Johnson V4 115 horsepower engine that's recently been experiencing extremely hard shifting from both neutral to forward and neutral to reverse. Last spring, I took the time to lubricate the pinnacle mechanism that I purchased used for my freshwater boat to replace the one that was on the boat as well as lubricate both the throttle cable and shift cable by using tubing hose clamp to the cable, filled it with silicone lubricant, and pressurized it until the silicone came out the other end of the outboard. But the shift cable is still extremely hard to shift, and many times when pushing the throttle forward from neutral to forward, the engine just revs up to 1,500 RPM in neutral, then goes into gear with a delayed shift. Based on what I've done already to rectify this situation and the symptoms that I'm experiencing, would you say that I have a, have a bad shift cable? Um, it is the original. So for one, yeah, you probably got a bad shift cable. So definitely change that shift cable. But talking about 1,500 RPM, especially those older Johnsons, a lot of them would do that where, you know, it's a hard shift. So if you don't have the idle set right on that engine or you have another problem going on where, like, let's say there's an issue with the base timer, like there's a, they, they call it like a, it's, I mean, a base timer. It's a timing mechanism that's under the flywheel that is used to help set the timing and the idle and the um, in-gear idle speed of that engine with the throttle linkage and all that other stuff, you need to make sure that all that stuff is good and that you don't have another problem with that engine, which is making it run at a high idle. Very common with those engines to be at a high idle or be in an advanced idle with something messed up. And if you're running 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 RPM, that thing's going to shift hard no matter what. So you need to get the shift cable off of the lower unit, like just unhook it to where you can shift it. Um, a lot of those Johnsons can be a pain because the you need to take the cases off of them. I mean, just to drop the lower unit, you need to split the case because a lot of them, the shift shaft has got a bolt at the top of it and it is bolted to the shift mechanism. So you can't just drop the lower unit. So definitely split the case so you can see everything. And then I would um, try and shift it by hand at the engine. So disconnect that shift cable, try and take a pliers or whatever you can and try and shift it back and forth. But if you're anything like, if you're 900 and above on the RPM at idle, it's going to shift hard no matter what. And especially it's going to have a delayed shift because your clutch dog is going to be engaged with one of the gears. So like, let's say, you know, coming out of gear, you're in forward trying to go to neutral. Well, when you're in forward, you've got pressure of that prop pushing forward and that clutch dog is engaged with that forward gear. We got a lot of discussions about this. Good thing we made that video about showing the inside so that way you guys can see what I'm talking about. The forward gear and the clutch dog, they are engaged together and they're spinning at 1,000 or 1,500 RPM. So that thing is like, it's mechanically locked together. So the, the force of the shift trying to pull the clutch dog off of that gear, it takes a lot. And not to mention, once it finally releases, you're putting so much pressure that it's most likely just going to slam back into reverse. And that's when a lot of the Johnsons, you see it all the time, they're slam shifting it so you can't get it out of forward. By the time you get out of forward, you're back into reverse. And the and a lot of the lower, and a lot of those Johnsons have a problem with the trim unit so the the engine just lifts itself up out of the water and it's a whole spectacle that everybody loves to see and make fun of. But 
you don't want to be that guy. And that's what I'm saying is that if you've got an RPM issue, I would fix that first before trying to figure out the shifting issue, because it sounds like you've got something else. You're trying to diagnose a symptom of an underlying problem and you're trying to rectify something that isn't really a problem. It's being a symptom of another problem being you've got a, an RPM problem. You like the engine is running too high and those gears are locked together. And that's probably what your bigger problem is. Otherwise, yeah, you could have, you know, the shift shaft could be stuck or you could have a problem with the lower unit. A lot of times those lower units would start to fail, especially because of that issue where it was slam shifting for so long that it is chewed up the clutch dog. And then the, um, the tabs that are on the forward and the reverse gear. So definitely figure out that RPM issue. Cause if you're trying to shift that thing at 1500 RPM, it's, it's going to be a problem no matter what fake name. How do you test an outboard rectifier regulator before install? Or is it even possible? I've had a couple of rectifiers die on me over the last two seasons. The way they've been failing is the regulator part of the rectifier it sends over 16 volts into my 12 volt system and the red fused where wire, where it connects to my starting system starts to melt the wire at one of the buck connectors past the fuse. The fuse doesn't blow motor is a Yamaha 25 ELHS connected to a 704 ignition key switch. Well, the guts of a 704 stepped into a 703 side mount control, no neutral safety, but otherwise the same. Um, Yes, the 704, the 703, that shouldn't be a problem. That should have nothing to do with any of that. The rectifier regulator, most of them just have, um, you know, a resistance and a diode test. So you're testing the diodes in the rectifier regulator. But if you've got a problem where it's constantly burning up that rectifier, you might have another issue. I would be looking at another issue on your power wires. Okay, it's going to be three. So you've got an original and you've burned up two over the last two seasons. So you've burned out three rectifier regulators. I would say you might have a battery problem or you've got a bad connection at one of the crimps, one of the ends on the battery cables, one of the connections on the battery, maybe at the battery switch, there's a loose connection on the battery switch, maybe on the engine where it's going or one of the power cables going to the engine could be, um, high resistance, got a break in it, got a cut in it. Um, anything like that. And because you don't need that much power on a 25, like to turn that thing over, you don't need all that, that much amperage to run that starter and to get that thing started. So it probably will go a lot longer, even with the resistance and the connection problem, because it doesn't really need that much amperage to turn over and run that starter. So, um, I think most likely you, you don't, I mean, it's not going to be a stator or anything like that because the stator is just going to produce what it produces and it's going to be putting it to the rectifier regulator. I mean, I guess maybe I'm trying to think of it, the possibility of the stator producing too much power and burning out the rectifier regulator, but I just see that to be highly unlikely. Um, that's just what the job of the rectifier regulator is to do is to take as much voltage as it's going to produce and use what it needs to use and send the rest of the ground and like, you know, flush it out. So possibly you've got a ground issue where that rectified regulator is not able to get rid of whatever extra voltage that it has. And it's just burning it up and then flowing through. And like you said, it's getting 16 volts coming out of it, which it shouldn't. So if it's 
burning itself up to where it's putting 16 volts out. My first thought is that it's not able to get rid of that, which means you've got a grounding issue somewhere and the rectifier regulator can't get rid of the power that it's trying to get rid of. And that's what's most likely burning it out. I'm going to be looking for loose and dirty connections and bad cables first to make sure 100% that you know you don't have any other issues. And then maybe go ahead and take a look at the stator just to test it and see. But I just find that to be unlikely as far as a problem and and even less likely that you've got three bad rectifier regulators. I would say there's a connection problem or a resistance problem that's burning those up. Adventures of a boat guy. Glad you made this video. Going to have to rebuild a six horsepower mercury lower unit that I got as a basket case. Um, you're welcome. And that's uh, going to be fun. I'm going to tell you the same thing that we were talking about just a minute ago with the six horse. Uh, if you've got a lower unit that's a basket case, opposed to going in trying to rebuild that lower unit, depending on the price of everything and the availability of stuff, I would honestly start looking around for a used lower unit before you go putting a bunch of time and money into the little six horse lower unit if you've got a, a serious, legitimate physical problem with it and rebuilding it. I mean, it's it's your time, it's your money. But based on those those little things, a lot of times those engines, if they blow up, um, people throw that stuff away. So if you could find a used lower unit for a hundred or a couple hundred bucks, then it's going to save you a whole lot of trouble. And then also, if you can find one that's blown up, now you've got some extra parts. Like if you need a carburetor, if you need um, anything else, it says you got a basket case. So maybe you've got other problems with the, the engine and you need some extra parts. So... Um, I would look at that first. We'll go ahead and do another one before we cut it off today. I'm going to try not to butcher this one, but Dane Peralt, I'd like to see a 20 to 24 foot center console bay boat trans restoration. I did a 22 foot 2001 Blazer Bay a few years back, and I'm super happy with it. Still have a few kinks to work out, but overall had a ton of fun. Curious to see what you would do on one versus what I did. Um, I would love to do a bay boat. As of right now, we've only got the, I've got a fun project with a little boat coming up. I've got a, we've got a 17 foot Key West. That's going to be a, a full restoration. It's getting rewired, get a new dash panel. Engine needs to be gone through. It's got a fuel tank issue. It's getting a trolling motor. So we got a bunch of stuff on the 17 that's going to come out. I don't have a bay boat in the, uh, foreseeable future i would love to do a bay boat but i kind of want to do a um, wake or ski boat or a flats boat those are kind of the next two that i would be looking into after the other little boat that i'm working on hopefully acquiring but yeah i'd be trying to trick it out you know i mean if it's going to be used as a bay boat we're talking power pole talking jack jack plates um making sure trim tabs all that stuff's working usually i like to rewire them just because i like to make you know get all that stuff in there fresh and then do the dashes a lot of times on stuff like that the dashes are all old and busted best thing that i mean the easiest and the best thing that i do a lot of times i don't really like to make acrylic panels and stuff like that so it's a lot easier to just go to new wire marine and have them make a dash panel i mean it's phenomenal what they do you can basically get like a template from them and then like mount out what you have send it to them and then customize the whole thing you can put your name in it you can do all kinds of stuff they'll put the switches and everything in it so when you get it then you can just pop it in and then you know 
clean up all the wiring and everything, but it saves you a lot of work and it's all like, it looks really, really good. So that's usually what I like to do with the dashes. Um, bay boat, trolling motor, you're going to want a trolling motor on there. So, I mean, you could really deck out a, a bay boat. You could put a lot of money in it too. So it all depends. I, you didn't say what you have. It's 2001 Blazer Bay. So I'm wondering if you probably got like a 250 on there. So Blazer Bay is not a bad boat. That's actually a really good boat. And that's basically all that I could think of as far as doing a bay boat. We'd love to do one maybe in the future. Definitely open to it. So that'll end it for this week. If you want us to talk about anything, just drop it in the comments below. Email us at askbab at boardingandboating.com. You can also check out our boaters program if you like this kind of stuff. We do a weekly live stream. We do podcasts. There's all kinds of new videos that we put out all the time every month. So definitely check that out at boardingandboating.com, and we'll see you next week.